welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. So today I want to talk to you guys about the pattern I've observed from working with hundreds of families, which is the journey that parents go through and the distinct phases that they go through on their way to finding peace and stability with their PDA child or teen. And I'm going to use my personal story in order to illustrate each of these phases because I have also gone through them and toggle between them myself. Okay, so there's three reasons I want to talk about these phases and illustrate them with my own life. And one is to just normalize it, that this is a process that nobody wakes up and is like, I know how to parent a PDA child or teen or give care to a child with a disability. And all of the phases include processing and falling off your baseline and having mistakes and a lot of trial and error and experimentation. So, you know, that's true for me as well. I am not some perfect Buddhist monk who sits on a mountain and just is peaceful all the time because I'm human. Okay, so I want to normalize it, explain that each phase has a purpose and a potential for growth as a parent, um, and then also that we need to normalize the trial and error and experimentation aspect of this to find your what works for your family. Okay, so the first phase is what I call the doing everything you can phase. And this is often when parents first find me, but I went through it as well. And this is when you do three things. First, you read everything you can get your hands on and seek out every piece of information that exists about your child's brain wiring you try and fix the problem right which is a natural response to what you're seeing in your home which could be violence which could be lots of dysregulation not meeting their basic needs so the natural instinct as a parent is to want to fix it and then the third is a little bit further along in this phase which is trying every single accommodation and i just finished my accommodations workshop and there were nine primary accommodations so i'm not going to go through all of those but I'm just talking about this particular phase. So to illustrate this with my own life, my son first started having problems <laughs> with dysregulation, with behavior. Um, he was stopping eating. He was increasingly not speaking to me, etc. I went, you know, headlong into what any good researcher and academic mind does, which is read every single book you can get your hand on and find every professional you can. Right. So I started with sensory processing disorder, the explosive child, all the books that you've read, Mona Delahook, et cetera, and also went deep dive into not just sensory processing and autism, but then PDA when I learned about PDA. And I spent about a year deeply studying like autistic testimonies on Instagram, just getting all the information I possibly could, which I know many of you are doing, which is exactly what you need to do to understand the internal workings of your child's brain. The second is the fix it phase. And I think a lot of times 
parents can feel like they're doing something wrong if they're seeking out therapy for a PDA child or trying things like a gluten-free diet or whatever it is, because the narrative is, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to change your child and not make them autistic. However, I think there is a distinction between seeing your child suffering or not being able to meet their basic needs and trying to figure out a, a solution to the problem. And I was certainly in the fix it mindset for a very long time. And I'll just explain all the things I have done, some of which worked, some of which did not. Um, and I wrote them down because there are so many, because I also went through this trial and error period. So when I first thought it was sensory processing disorder, we were in OT five days a week and I researched every single <laughs> occupational therapy center in all of the greater DC area, Maryland and Virginia. Okay, we found a place and went five times a week, both for feeding therapy and for sensory. And I was like, all in, like, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it stop. I'm going to fix it. Right. And with the center, sensory integration lens, we can often feel like if we help them learn how to integrate, we can solve the problem. Right. And there's nothing wrong with this phase. We've also tried the FOCUS program from Integrated Listening Systems, the Safe and Sound Protocol twice, eight months of neurofeedback, feeding therapy, gluten-free diet, dye-free diet, craniosacral therapy, shamanic soul retrieval, CBD gummies without THC, and prescribed medication. Okay, so <laughs> I did not just reach radical acceptance of my child's neurotype. I went through all of this. And just as a caveat or like an asterisk, I will say neurofeedback helped, um, craniosacral helped, safe and sound protocol helped, and his medication helps him. And so does occupational therapy. What I also want to normalize is that parents have to go through this process to observe empirically what helps their child. Okay. Some parents have PDA children who also do better without gluten in their diet. That doesn't mean gluten is the solution to PDA. It's just something to keep in mind that there is this experimental trial and error phase. Okay. And you don't need to feel guilty or ashamed that you're trying to help your child by seeking external support. Okay, the gluten-free diet, the dye-free diet, all that stuff did not help my child, but it doesn't mean that it won't for someone else. Okay, the third part of this doing everything you can phase, hi everybody, is a little bit further along and that is trying every single accommodation under the sun, right? So like maybe you go all in with like declarative language, co-regulation, play, humor, um, de-escalation, all the things that you can possibly do, right? And then at the end of this phase, parents are often exhausted, <laughs> depleted, and they realize two things. One, oh my gosh, I've been trying to fix parts of this that I can't actually fix because the child is PDA and that's a nervous system disability. And two, I can't actually accommodate 100% of the time, right? And I also want to normalize that because this is not, this is not like a perfection contest, right? Of like, I never get dysregulated and every single possible moment I'm constantly co-regulating. No human can possibly 
do that because nervous system to nervous system, you need your nervous system as well. Okay, so what this realization leads to is movement into the second phase, which is structural change. Okay, so I want to illustrate this with two. one one example from my own life and two like sort of how I notice it when I'm coaching families. Okay. So the first after we had I'd literally read every book, done every possibly possible thing, applied every possible accommodation, and my son was still struggling. The nail in the coffin of this phase for us was the arrival of our service dog, Diesel, which was like a year and a half ago. And I realized once Diesel, hi everybody, once Diesel arrived in our home, I didn't even realize I was still in the fix it mindset because even though Diesel, our service dog, does support my child and help him, he's still PDA and he still has a threat response. And the same is true for medication. But with the service dog, it was like I had this aha moment of, oh my gosh, I was still trying to make it not true. I was still trying to find a solution to his neurotype rather than accepting his neurotype and the limitations therein of my life and the constraints that that presents. So again, I mentioned this to you as parents in the PDA space because I think there can be a lot of shame that comes up when we feel like we either shouldn't be doing therapy or should we shouldn't be trying things like there's shame from both ends if we get into extremes of like you know you go into the medical space and they're like you're doing it wrong and then sometimes you look in the advocacy space and they're like you shouldn't be trying this and i just want to normalize the trial and error aspect of like trying to figure out what works for your family and show that i've been through it as well okay so I also noticed this phase when when families come to me in a coaching container or in a program and they say, like, I've already tried everything, right? And they've done everything. Maybe they've read more books than I have. And so then we really have to think about, okay, if the goal is finding peace, then we got to look at some stuff structurally about your life where you're maybe not making trade-offs or decisions that reflect the nature of your reality, which is that your child is PDA. And like, I'll say sometimes people go through the first phase and realize, actually, my child's not PDA because a lot of these like therapies or anxiety approaches help them and they don't escalate, which is great too. We all just want kids to be well and parents to be sane and healthy and happy and families to stay together. So then we have to do the big girl, pull up your panties and be an adult, which I went through. I don't know why I said pull up your panties, but (laughs) I just went to yoga. So I'm like a little bit chill. We have to look at parents as the structure of our lives and realize like, shoot, I actually might have to make some trade-off or cost-benefit decisions or think structurally if things start aren't sustainable and what that means is like changing jobs bringing in alternative caregiving leaving a public school entering into a new private school um you know all moving all different sorts of structural changes to the home and i know that you're all operating in constraints and you have different constraints than me they're financial they're logistical they're country-based i'm in michigan we have different homeschooling rules than germany right? Where you can't homeschool easily. So I understand that, but 
Often we reach the point where we have to make structural changes that reflect the fact that our child has a disability. And what this meant for my family um, was a couple things. Like first we moved from Michigan to Washington, DC, or sorry, Washington, DC to Michigan to be closer to family. And also for small things like, okay, we live on a road that's not that busy. So if my son runs into the street, the probability that he gets hit by a car is much lower. I know that sounds pretty intense, but like these were the things that I was thinking about at the time of like, my child just runs away and and like runs out the front door. So I need to be in a place where there's cornfields and not highways, right? And I need to be able to afford not to work for a couple of years. And we couldn't do that in DC. But when I made that decision, I also assumed I would go back to my academic career. I mean, I led a team of methodologists and researchers at a large research and um, policy nonprofit in Washington, DC. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll go back once I fix the problem, right? And the structural change phase came for me when I realized, oh, I can't actually do that. Or my husband has to do it because when my both my children are home we need an adult on each kid sometimes or when my son needs to go to occupational therapy somebody has to take him on friday he had a developmental pediatrician appointment we had to do some stuff with a service dog i had to interview an au pair and i know that's privilege because i can afford it but it still work and then i took him to ot so i had no ability to like be in an office working right? That's a structural trade-off and a lot of us have to make it. And accepting that and making decisions accordingly is very, very hard because you're operating within constraints that your peers aren't if they have neurotypical children. And I think because PDA is such a fluctuating disability and our children are experiencing so much internally, we can't always see the nervous system activation. It can be easy not to make those structural changes because you're like, oh, it's going to get better, right? And it does, but the structural changes are important. Other structural changes, leaving a public school for my son and going to a private school and understanding that I can't personally co-regulate my son all the time. Okay, I'm moving on to the third, the third phase, because I got a warning. I only have five minutes left before my little Instagram timer tunes me out <laughs> and I don't know what's gonna happen. So we'll continue. Third phase is the surrender phase or the radical acceptance phase. So let's say you've done everything you can in phase one, the doing everything you can phase. Phase two, made your structural changes. And then we realize there's still things about our life that don't reflect our expectations or that our child still is PDA and has a nervous system disability. This doesn't mean you're not accepting your child when you get here. It means you're not necessarily accepting the constraints it places on your life. And that is a natural human thing. So for example, I'm still constantly working on myself in this phase and there's three elements. And this is a pattern I see also when I work with families. Three things happen in this phase. One, parents work on their nervous system regulation intensively because they have to start going inward because they can't change necessarily outward any more than they've done, or they're doing deep trauma processing from their childhood. 
right? And this is hard, but it's also like this beautiful opportunity that comes from this unexpected gift of having a child with different brain wiring. So to illustrate just a second that I'll tell you what I do for that. Um, the second is finding meaning and purpose, like needing to find meaning and purpose in the caregiving of a child with a disability and living a life that you didn't expect. And then often parents turn toward or deepen spirituality. So I've done all three of these things, which has been like what also helps me in the third phase. So I want to say my child is so much happier and thriving and we have a much better system, but he's still PDA, right? And I hope that I am honest about that. I still struggle, right? And so this is where we turn to that surrender piece, which is a daily practice. So for my own nervous system, weekly EMDR therapy, which is trauma processing, havening, where I do like daily mantras and soothe my own nervous system saying things like, I can stay calm in the face of screaming, or what if things could turn out better than ever expected? Because I also get scared of the what ifs, right? And that's normal. Um, I have an Apollo Neuro on my ankle right now, sending me little biofeedback of like, stay calm. <laughs> um, I take and anxiety medication, I do yoga and I do meditation on a daily basis. I am constantly working on my nervous system and I have peace, not because my there's never any screaming in my house. It's because I have learned to manage it better, right? And second, finding meaning and purpose. This is extremely important. Um, I found that sometimes the dads appreciate this more than the spiritual suggestion. So one book actually that my husband just read and I've read and turned back to is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, where he talks about like agency even within very difficult circumstances. And for me, what this meant was when my child was at his worst, I didn't have any caregiving support. I was completely burned out and I was operating within these intense constraints that really my agency existed in the space between like my son screaming or hitting me or attacking me and how I showed up in response and my own non-reactivity. So I found purpose not in like how well my child behaved or is the screaming stopping, but like how comfortably I could hold my hat, hang my hat on the day of showing up with nonviolence. So that's how I personally found meaning in that deep, dark trauma cave part of this journey. And then the spirituality piece, which is um, trust, like trusting that there is meaning, trusting that our children will be okay, and that all there is is like life and love and that's what we have to give them the spirituality piece i think can be very supportive of parents in this third phase and i am breaking up a little bit but i just wanted to leave you guys with a normalization of these phases and to illustrate for you that i've also been through them and you're not the only one going through them and it is okay to experiment. Thanks everyone for being here with me at the At Peace Parents podcast. 
This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com.